Well, man, <laughs> that was, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I can do any better than that, right? I mean, that was pretty cute. Very cute introduction and reading of the story. Well, my name's Carter, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. I'm so thankful that you're with us, especially if you're new. Just want to say a special welcome to you. Glad you're celebrating Christmas with us. And as you can see, we like to do things a little bit differently for Christmas than a normal Sunday meeting. Um, I, I, maybe I'm biased on the video, but you know, I thought it was pretty cute. My daughter was one of the ones reading, um, though I do think maybe we'll have to have a conversation later because it seems like the culture's crept in a little bit. I've never heard somebody refer to God as a baby daddy before, okay? So I don't I mean, she's not wrong, right? I mean, it's, it's technically correct, but uh, maybe we need to have a chat about that. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are with us to celebrate Christmas and we can enjoy the night and do some things differently, have some fun and have some hot chocolate and some cookies and all that fun stuff, sing some Christmas carols in a really fun way, and of course, study some aspect of the Christmas story together, which is what we'll do now. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you brought a Bible with you and you want to turn there, or you can find it on your device, we'll have it on the screens for you as well if you need it. But what we'll see today is that a group of pagan magicians, whom we know as the Magi, who are seen as the elite people of their day, the most enlightened of their time, they chase after a star, which we heard our kids so eloquently read about, and it supernaturally directs them to the king over creation, the light of the world. See, they see a light in the heavens that leads them to the true light of the world. It's a really cool story. And of course, whenever we see a light in the darkness ourselves, it gives us hope, doesn't it? Because darkness for us is usually chaotic. It's what's unknown. It's usually what's scary. But see, light shining in the darkness, that usually gives us hope because it brings order and knowledge and it alleviates those fears that we might have. And it makes me think of the two real Batman movies that are out there right now. I know, I'm, I'm referencing Batman for Christmas. Just go with me on it, okay? <laughs> it makes the point. because, uh, And I don't want to get in debate with anybody. These are the two, last two real Batman movies. That's all I'm going to say, all right? The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. You knew I was going there, right? We can fight after this if you need to, all right? I get, I get that. But... The symbolism throughout both of those movies is this play on the idea of light and darkness. You know? And so the darkness is chaotic and evil and scary. The hero is the light and the hope of the city. So Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight, he's pure chaos. You know, he just wants to watch the world burn, as Alfred puts it in the movie. His darkness is unsettling in that way. It's just chaotic. But then Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, he hasn't just adopted the darkness, has he? Has he? Do you guys remember this line, the famous line? You've merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it, right? <laughs> so that's my bane. Okay, okay, don't, don't make fun of me too bad. But that's the line, right? His, his evil represents that calculated kind of evil. It's very disturbing and unsettling in a different kind of way. But in either case, the darkness is the thing that's scary. It represents those fearful things in the night that we don't understand. And we crave the light. It's like the idiom that we often use. We see a light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever heard anybody use that and say they wanted to turn around and run back down into the darkness? No. You want to run toward the light. We crave the light. We get caught up in all the darkness and we get scared. And sometimes we even forget to have hope. But if we just get a glimmer of light, that's all we need. That glimmer of light is what gives us hope. And we instinctively know that we're made to run toward the light so I want to give you a very simple main point for today as we consider the Magi and their pursuit of the light of the world. Let's consider that Jesus as the true light is both the foundation of our hope and the future of our hope. So you can write it down like this if you're a note taker and you want to remember this later. The main point for today is hope has come now 
and hope is coming again. Hope has come now, and it's coming again. Man, that's how we'll break up our time together tonight, because hope has come now. Jesus coming gives us hope. That's why Christmas is such a big deal to Christians. He has come into the world as both God and man to deal with our sin and our death and our darkness, and he's come to reconcile us with God. Hope has come now. But we'll also see that his second coming can give us even more hope, because we not only believe that he came into the world once, but that he's coming again the anticipation that we experience at Christmas time, just think about this. It's really a foreshadowing of the anticipation that we should have in his second coming when he comes to make all things new, not just as a baby into the world, but as a conquering king. It started with Christmas and it ends with eternity, if I could say it like that. Hope has come now. Hope is coming again. So let's read the story here from Matthew chapter 2. And we'll make those two points briefly. You guys probably remember this story with the Magi. Matthew, the author, wrote this starting in verse 1. He said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now before we go on, just for some historical context here, we get a lot of information from these two verses that kind of just ruins all of the Christmas pageants and nativities and songs that we sing about the wise men, doesn't it? You know, because, I mean, we're, we're just confronted with the truth. Nowhere does it say they're kings, for, examples, uh, for example, right? They're wise men. So the Greek word here is literally magi, or actually magos. But magi is just the plural for that, which means they're pagan magicians. They're astrologers. They read the stars. They act as seers, seers of the future. People would go and see them for advice, including kings. They weren't kings, but they were very influential people in their culture at the time. And nowhere does it say there were three of them either. Now, we'll read on that we'll see that they have three gifts, but it doesn't say there are three of them. Just because I might give my wife three gifts doesn't mean there are three of me, right? And so that's how it is with them. I mean, there, there could be any number of them. It's likely that they would have an entourage, you know, that they would have servants and animals and all kinds of things with them, however many of them there were. It's also likely they were from Persia, not the Orient. You know, we've all heard that uh, Christmas song before, the, the, We Three Kings of Orient. You know, it's probably that they're coming from Persia. So that means they would come from modern-day Iran, which makes sense if you know some of your Old Testament history as well, because, you know, some prominent Jews uh, were in the Persian Empire. If we read back in the Old Testament, Daniel... You know, Esther and Mordecai, Nehemiah and Ezra, probably more we don't even know about. So they likely had some kind of expectation of this great Jewish king to come, but it seems like their knowledge was limited, right? And that's why when they saw the signs in the stars, they decided to go to Herod in Judea. Why? Because he was at the time supposedly the king of the Jews. And so they wanted to go and see who this new king was that had been born. And in verse 3, when they got there, when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, he, he was disturbed because he hadn't had a baby. He was wondering why they thought there was this newborn king. He was threatened by this. Herod was a puppet king of the Roman Empire. He didn't want to lose his power. So him and all Jerusalem were disturbed. What that means is that the culture at the time had gotten so far away from hoping in God as the Jewish Messiah that even the Jewish people were disturbed by this. Verse 4, he is, so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes. This is Herod. He assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and they quote the Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. Really interesting. Why did he do that? So that he could ascertain the age of this child. Because we know if we get, were to read on to chapter 3, maybe you remember this from the story, he kills all of the people, all the, the sons that are two years old and younger. So he's, he wants to go and eliminate the threat. So he asks this, and he sent them to Bethlehem, verse 8. And he said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me, so that I too can go and worship him. That's very, I don't think he wanted to worship him, okay? That's what we get from chapter 3. And after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until they came and stopped, until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. If you're skeptical about that because you know that's not how stars work, just recognize this is a miraculous story, okay? This is part of the miracle. So that's what we're trying to get here from this point that Matthew is making. It's part of the miracle. Verse 10, we'll finish it out. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Very interesting, very miraculous situation. Really love this story because it highlights the two things that we're going to talk about tonight. Hope has come now. Hope is coming again. Let's start with the first one. Hope has come now. These men who weren't part of God's people, who were idolaters, they were pagans, they practiced magic, so they practiced witchcraft and the occult. They interpreted dreams and all this. They saw something in their worship of the stars that gave them this greater hope that the God over creation was doing something that they needed to chase after and be aware of. So I want to point out that their astronomy could only get them so far. You know, It might have gotten them part of the way to the truth, but not the whole way. So if you want to use modern terms, their truth wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed something from God. They might have been feeling part of the elephant, if you will, if I could use that terminology, but they needed God to come in and show them the whole picture, okay? So by the star, supernaturally, God directs them to the Jews so that they could know the whole truth from the Hebrew Scriptures to actually pinpoint who this king was and where he was coming from. And they found that in the prophet uh, Micah, which was written 800 years prior to this, by the way, they found their answer so that they go worship him. King David's eternal heir would come from Bethlehem. And now for us, what I want you to get from this is that we can't find Jesus unless we go to God's written word. So you can write that down if you're taking notes tonight. See, the Bible is God's truth for us. So it's our way to the way, if we can put it like that. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And the written word that we have now points to and reveals to us who this incarnate word is, right? So if you want to know Jesus, you've got to get to know your Bible. The, your, your truth and the truths of this world is just not enough. It can only take you so far. I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm just saying it can only get you so far. You've got to have God's truth in your life so that he can show you the rest of the way to the way. And the New Testament authors do this. When we read through the New Testament, we see them connecting the dots for us. That's why he quotes Micah 5.2 here, so that we can understand that this was foretold hundreds of years prior. It's really clear when you start to connect these dots. Isaiah 9 is another spot. Let me read this to you from Isaiah 9. We've probably heard this read at Christmas time. This is what Isaiah 9 says. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy, talking to God now. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their, on, on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, all war, all fighting, all of the oppression, all of it done away with. For a child will be born to, for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus, right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Je Jesus is that child who's born. The light into the dark world. Peace in the midst of the chaos to reverse the curse over all of creation as we sang about in one of our Christmas carols. He's the hope who's come into the world now. But see, it wouldn't all happen right away. And that's part of the frustration for some who, who don't believe in Jesus, right? We, we look at the world now and we see, yeah, but it's still broken, isn't it? Isn't there still darkness? Don't we still experience death? Don't we still experience pain and suffering and all of these things? Well, there's an order to his salvation. He's come first to bring peace between God and humanity now, to bring light into the dark hearts of men. And see, our hearts are dark, and we have to get there. We're like Bane. I know. I'm sorry. we got to use Batman, okay? If you, if you can go with me on it. We're like Bane in this because we were born into darkness. And that's how it began, for even for the first humans. See, God gave humanity a choice when he created us to follow his ways that either lead to life or to follow our own ways that lead to death and darkness. And we naturally choose the way that leads to death every single time because we want to be God ourselves. We're born in the dark. The fact that God gives us a choice at all is very important for us because God wants our love, not our allegiance. So he wants us to freely choose him and to freely choose to worship him, not worship other things. But see, our hearts are bent toward the darkness. Our hearts are bent toward rejecting God. He made us to be like him, but we'd rather try to be him and stand in his place, thereby rejecting his love and loving other things in place of him. And I know it might seem strange, especially if you're not really a religious person, but see, we all worship something. And you can write that down if you want to remember that. Because worship is what you ascribe ultimate worth to in your life. It's the light that you try to chase after. It's the thing that you most love, that you think can chase away the darkness that you might experience in your life. And so maybe for you here, maybe it's your friends or your family. Maybe it's the opinions of others that you think you need. Maybe it's the money that you have or the material possessions that you have. Maybe it's your career or your future success or something like that that you think will bring light to your darkness. Whatever it is, it's what you're living for and you're living towards. That's what your entire life is going towards. That's what you worship. That's worship. Now, we surround ourselves with what we might call light pollution, you know? So we, we don't want to recognize God's light. And so we try to create all these little lights around us so that we just don't have to worry about God's way. We can think our own way. We want to try to do that on our own terms. And usually it's all good stuff in our life, right? Usually it's all things like family and friends and all of that. Usually it's good stuff, but it ends up becoming ultimate stuff and it takes the place of God. And, and we surround ourselves with all these little man-made lights that can never chase the darkness fully away. See, at the end of the day, it's kind of like trying to produce your own light in the midst of a, a vast void. I don't know. I was watching a video a couple of weeks ago 
It was, it was on an oil rig. I don't know if you've ever seen a video of this or guys that live out on an oil rig in the middle of the ocean. It's this, this thing that's there in the middle of the waves and all of that. And so when they're on that at night, it's terrifying because they can see nothing. All they can hear is the waves down below them. They're hundreds of feet off the water. And so on a dark night where there's no uh, moon or, or stars or anything like that, it's pitch black. They were tossing stuff over. You could see it disappear into the darkness. They would shine a, the brightest spotlight out into the darkness and nothing was there. So it doesn't matter how many man-made lights are on that thing. If it's dark, it's dark. And the light can only pierce the darkness so far. But when the dawn comes and that light creeps up over the horizon, that's when all the darkness is chased away, right? See, that's what Christmas is for us. It's us realizing that we can't deal with the darkness on our own, no matter how many little lights we try to put up. But as soon as God brings Jesus into the world and that dawn creeps over the horizon for us, that's what chases all the darkness away. That's what Christmas is all about, showing us that God's light is greater Jesus was born as the light of the world, not just as a small little piercing light that's trying to pierce this vast darkness, but he is the dawn. He's the sun that chases all that darkness away. See, our hope comes from this message that God has dealt with the darkness for us by dealing with the darkness in us. That's what Christmas reminds us of. Because again, we might be like Bane, but we don't have to stay that way. We might have been born in the dark, but we can be born into the light if we simply put our faith in Jesus. However, it does start by us being willing to humble ourselves and see the darkness within us. We have to, we have to admit that we have a need greater than what we can deal with in our own lives. What did the Magi do? Well, they saw the star and they followed their own way until they got to God's way. And they, they fell to their knees when they saw the true light of the world. These elite men of their cultural time these magicians that weren't even God-fears, they fell to their knees and they worshipped him when they saw him. See, the hard truth is that we've rejected God in his ways. And because of that, God could have just destroyed us, left us in the dark. But instead of leaving us in our sin, God chose to rip himself apart both spiritually and physically and send his son out of heaven and onto a cross to bring anybody in the world who would worship him out of the darkness into his glorious light. See, Jesus' perfect life and his death in our place was a perfect sacrifice for God on our behalf. Here's what you can write down as well. Jesus became the darkness for us so that we could live in the light. He took our place. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Christians believe. It's not some religious thing out there where we have to do X, Y, and Z and try to follow all the rules over here so we can look good. No. It's that you weren't good. It's that I wasn't good. And it's that God has made us good with no, with no fault of our own, through no, nothing that we could do. It's all that Jesus has done for us. And so as long as we see our need and put our hope in him, he will save us. So that means, listen, that means no matter how you've rejected God, no matter what you've done in your life in the dark, as long as you put your hope in him, God sees his perfection instead of your imperfections. Jesus' light shines on you so brightly that there is no more darkness that God can see. So now you're no longer defined by that darkness. You're defined by his light. And that's the good news that we celebrate at Christmas, at Easter, all the time, right? That's the good news. There is no good that we can do, and there is no bad that we have done 
to separate us from God's love. He did it all for us. And now, our only response is to fall to our knees like the Magi and worship him for it. But see, here's the incredible thing. Jesus didn't just live and die in our place. You know, this, maybe you've heard this song before. If you're in Christian circles, he was born to die. I love that song by Shane and Shane. It's a great song. But it does only tell half the story. Because he wasn't just born to die. He also rose from the dead. He defeated death and darkness on our behalf. So that one day he will return. And we get to live with him face to face forever. And we just studied this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on Sunday. But we can say to death, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. We get to live forever with him. Death has been swallowed up and destroyed once and for all. It looked like death had swallowed Jesus. But Jesus came out victorious. So that leads to the final point that I want to make for you. Hope is coming again. Hope is coming again. Even the Isaiah 9 passage we read seems to show us and use the language that this isn't just something spiritual. This isn't something that's wishful thinking. This is temporal. This is real. This is something that's going to come into human history and change everything in a real way in space and time, the way that we experience it now, but better. Jesus' resurrection is the foretaste of the resurrection to come. We'll not only pierce the darkness and, and just give us a little bit of light, but it's the dawn of a whole new day. And that dawn will chase away all of the darkness across all time, forever, into eternity. So on that day, he will rule the governments of the world as Isaiah 9 talks about. There will be no more war or pain or suffering, no more animosity between neighbors and family members or political parties or anything like that. And there won't even be darkness anymore in the world because Jesus will be so full of light that he will outshine the very sun in our solar system. And our joy will never end. See, we know it's not all been made right yet. We can feel that. But the resurrection gives us hope that it will. The resurrection is like a receipt of payment. Jesus paid for that. And it shows us that he will come again because he will reverse the curse in time and space completely one day. And now we long for that. We long for that light, right? We're not running back down the tunnel. We're running toward the light. We want the light. We crave the light. That's why I believe that we anticipate Christmas so much. It's such a beautiful thing to see children anticipate Christmas morning, right? Why do we anticipate Christmas Day? Why do we have such hope in our culture right now? Why is that around Christmas? Even people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him, Christmas is so hopeful. Why? Because the light of the world came. And we're longing for that light once again. We're longing for that. We're longing to be made right with God forever. I was thinking about this as we were watching another movie that's very class, very profound movie. I know I'm on a movie kick this week. It was a movie from the 90s called Home Alone. Maybe you've heard of it, okay? I know, you, you say, how do you see the gospel in Home Alone? Let me show you, okay? We all seem to have that Home Alone problem like Kevin does, okay? You remember the story. Kevin McAllister, he gets angry with his family, especially his mom. And he says some pretty hurtful stuff to her and he wished he didn't have a family. So when they leave him upstairs the next morning and they're all rushing around trying to get to the airport, he's there, home alone, as the title indicates. He's overjoyed to find that he made his family disappear, right? He thinks it's great. He's like, finally, no more oversight. I can do whatever I want. So he runs around, eats junk food, plays with his brother's stuff, does all the things that he knows his parents would never have let him do if they'd been there. But then his good time kind of starts to have some cracks in it that same day, right? When he starts watching uh, 
a violent movie called Angels with Filthy Souls. Yes, I know the title of the movie, yes. He starts watching that and he gets scared, right? A little bit of darkness creeps in. Who's he cry out for? Mom. He cries out for his mom. And over the next two days, he's confronted with even scarier things. He's got these criminals and all this kind of stuff that he has to confront. It's very dangerous stuff for him. And he comes to the realization that all he really does want is a relationship with his, with his parents and his family. Yeah, I cry when I watch Home Alone. But it's because, it's because of the gospel that I see here. Because he realizes he wants, he's longing for, he's anticipating, he desires that with all of his heart to know and be known by his family. Guys, I see our future hope in that in this world. Because of course, we're like Kevin here. We naturally wish that we could do things on our own. We don't want the oversight, so we believe, until, until the darkness begins to creep in. Until something happens that scares us. Until something shakes our foundations to the very core. And that tragedy comes. That hardship is something that you have to face. That frustration is something that's very real in your life. And in these moments, the only right response is to cry out for God. That's the only response. Now, I know it can harden some people's hearts and they get resentful at God. They're like, why is he letting this happen? Why is this happening? But listen, the right response isn't to harden your heart. It's to do what Kevin did. It's to cry out for for God because he's waiting to embrace us with open arms. He's waking you up to the fact that you've been in the darkness. He's trying to get you to walk into his glorious light. So my encouragement for you this Christmas season is to be like Kevin. Maybe more importantly, be like the Magi, okay? (laughs) Let's go back to the Bible. Finally come to a place of surrender where you know that you have come face to face with the God of the universe, the light of the world. And you chase after him instead of the darkness in your life, which means we need to be willing when we're confronted with this truth to fall to our knees and worship him with our whole life. Let the anticipation of Christmas this year and Jesus' first advent push you toward and be a foreshadowing of your anticipation of his second advent to come. Because it started with Christmas, but it ends with eternity. Let me pray for us tonight. God, I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus into the world on our behalf so that he would live the perfect life in our place, so that he would die the death that we deserve for rejecting you. And thank you, God, that he rose from the dead, that he had power over sin and death and darkness, and he brings us into his light when we simply humble ourselves and worship him. God, we know that we're gonna worship something. I pray for everybody in this room to worship you tonight to worship you in light of Christmas and in light of eternity and the future that's to come for those who put their hope in the light of the world. God, I pray that you'll dawn in some people's hearts tonight. God, I pray that you'll move some people here who don't know you, who don't follow you, to follow you with their whole selves, their whole lives. God, I pray for that with all my heart tonight. And I pray that we'll worship you in a big way after this, just in light of what you've done on our behalf. God, thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, before we continue singing together, I want to call you to respond now. Because see, God's word demands a response. When we hear his word in our hearts and in our minds, it demands that we respond in some way. So as a church, we like to respond in three ways here. We respond through prayer, through praise, and through practice. In prayer, you're talking to God and you're asking him to reveal to you how you need to apply this message to your life this week.
So you can pray now if you want to do that. We're going to have prayer counselors up front you can pray with at the end of our service if you need somebody to pray for you. But then in praise, we sing and worship God and adore Him for the things that He's done through Jesus on our behalf. But then before we do that, which we will in just a moment, I just want you to practice tonight. When we talk about practice, we're talking about practicing obedience to follow Him the way that He calls us to. So let me talk to two kinds of people who might be in the room here tonight. If you're a believer in the room, if you follow Jesus and he's king over your life, your step of obedience tonight will probably be to not only worship him personally, but to go and share this light with somebody else. If you believe he's done this in you, how could you not go out and share it with the world? Go tell it on a mountain, please. You know what I'm saying? Go do that. Walk in obedience this week to share who he is to you. But then there's others of you who might be in the room tonight who've never followed Jesus before. And my call to you would simply be to come to him and worship him. He's waiting with open arms. He wants you. You know, maybe there's this anticipation. Maybe there's this hope. There's this drawing in your heart. You know you're made for that. Then I would call you to believe in him tonight, maybe for the very first time. And listen, if you do that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle or anything like that. I'm not going to embarrass you. But his word does demand a response call you to walk in obedience and what that looks like for a believer somebody who's just believed for the very first time is to be baptized we see that all throughout the bible yeah we're baptists here okay yeah i mean that's part of it but we see in the new testament that every time somebody believes they get baptized because it's this outward symbol of the inward reality that you have bowed your heart to him and so we have cards on the seats there or under your seat if you're on the sides that you can fill out tonight if you've made that decision to get baptized. I would love for you to do that and drop it in the buckets on the way out or bring it up to one of our prayer counselors so they can talk you through what that step of obedience might look like in your life. And I hope that no matter where you are tonight, you will respond in one of these ways because Jesus is worth it. He's worthy of our praise, is he not? Because it started with Christmas, but it ends with eternity. So let's continue to praise him. Why don't you stand together and let's